Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. No algorithm has ever jammed out to its favorite song, dreamed of starting a band, or watched its favorite movie a hundred times, or even watched a single movie for that matter, which is why an algorithm has no business picking the films that you watch. Mubi is a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the world. Each day, they introduce a new hand-picked gem, and you have one month to watch it. Whether it's a forgotten classic, a festival darling, or a groundbreaking masterpiece, every single film is hand-selected by experts. Try Mubi for free. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash words. And you will love this thing. This has changed my life in the most positive way. You get amazing cinema. So, such good stuff. That, like, I love movies, and it shows me stuff that I'm like, yo, I've never even heard of this. And I watch it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So please, 30 days for free. Mubi.com, M-U-B-I.com slash words, 30 days for free. All right, now on to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your ever-present host, Ray Harkins, talking to people involved in independent music, whether that's playing in bands, running record labels, doing zines, bunch of stuff, as long as you are contributing or... If you have taken these awesome principles that we learn in and around the hardcore and punk scene and indie rock scene and just just independent music in general and then apply them to your life and become, you know, interesting culturally, then that's why you're on this show. I don't know why I always like to, to put that sort of preamble there, but I just, you know, it, it's a nice framing of the context of the people that we have on the show. So today's show is a... Th- this was intense, intensely awesome. This is a person I've known for a very long time and was excited to have him on the show. James Hart. He's the vocalist for 18 Visions, and he also sang for a band for quite some time called Burn Halo. That was more of the, I don't know, sort of active rock, rock and roll sort of scenario. And 18 Visions uh, looms large in my own personal life just because uh, Taken used to play a ton with 18 Visions and knew all the members really well and... Um, yeah, and I just James was always a, a, a supremely interesting person because he was uh, kind of the focal point for a, a lot of uh, you know both positive and negative things in regards to um, the hardcore scene as far as uh, you know whether it was straight edge or whether it was people's opinions and you know scene drama and all that stuff that kind of you know happened in the late '90s, early 2000s. And but James to me has always been an incredibly kind and caring person. Uh, he's always been nothing but cool to me, um, and I was excited to have him on the show because we get uh, we get real deep, man. This is a long conversation, so uh, strap yourself in. But um, let's get some uh, some core pleasantries out of the way. The, the The fundamentals of what make this show tick is a website called noecho.net. 
you can go visit them and get a bunch of rad interviews and content related to the punk and hardcore scene. And they've been doing a ton of uh, debuts recently from, uh, you know, song premieres and all that sort of stuff, like the new live strife that's coming out. They just did a premiere for that. Great stuff. Great stuff. So please visit that site. It's a marriage made in heaven. And then, uh, yeah, you can email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. And I also would encourage you to, uh, you know, you, you hear ads in the show, right? And that is an incredibly important part to me because not only obviously am I making money off this thing, but it shows that these companies find value in independent music and the discussions around it. And the more ads we get from that perspective, well, we, I get, um, just show a vote of confidence, not only in the medium of podcasting, but then also the specific content that this show uh, travels in. So please, I only agree to the stuff that makes total sense for you as a listener, you know, stuff that I've found cool that I'm like, Hey man, I've tried this out. This is rad. So please, uh, page, be a good patron, you know, cause I don't, I don't ask for money. I'm not, you know, starting, uh, I, I did a Patreon a long time ago, but you know, I frankly don't really push that at all. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how this show is able to exist and I'm able to spend as much time as I do on it. So anyways, that's just a sort of holiday plea to, uh, you know, patronage and try out the services that i offer up to you so anyways and uh what else do i got uh things are good holidays are almost upon us and uh, hopefully you'll be able to take some time to slow down chill out i will be doing the opposite of that all december i'm traveling a ton playing some shows with taken and uh, by the way if you're in the canadian area please come to hang out and see us we play December 8th in Toronto with Counterparts, and then we also play on the 10th in Montreal, and then there's two other shows that we are going to announce very shortly that'll be super, super fun as well. So four shows up there. I'm going to be dead (laughs) after that, but it'll be fun. So yeah, now here's James, right? I'm not going to belabor it and talk more about it because you just need to hear this conversation, especially the tail end of it. The last 20 to 30 minutes are just, just mind-blowing. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. So, talk to you later. And everything like that. And you're, I mean, you're for sure one of those people where I'm just like, when did you first meet? I'd be like, I have no idea. Like, we just existed in each other's worlds. Totally. Um, Except when you dated Nick, Nick's sister, where you ended up. Who I met at your show. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot about yeah, that. The showcase. The showcase. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. But I, that that was when you were existing more. Like you know, we'd go to practice, be like, oh, hey, there's James. What's yeah. up? But uh, I was upon. It was it, at, shortly after your life sentence release, the EP. I was just like, I was all in on you guys. I was like, oh, dude, like this band's unbelievable because. Not only was I into the whole like sort of, you know, spooky nature of the band in regards to the, you know, dark imagery and everything that you guys were going for initially. Um, but the, uh, you know, the I just looked like the fact that you guys were, you know, only a few years older than me. And I was just like, it felt tangible. It was like, oh, wow, like this is a band that could exist alongside other bands that were doing it nationally and whatever. But, you know, kind of focusing on those early years, like you know, in your head, was it really, you know, in r- retrospect, was it, uh, just exciting being in the mix of all that? Or, you know, was your, I guess, kind of initial approach as far as like, 
you know, what you were doing with the band as far as like your messaging and everything else, like, you know, that people either loved, I mean, I guess you could say this about 18 Visions in general. They either loved you guys or they hated you. Like you never really fell into the middle of that. No. Um, And especially too, at the beginning, like people really had strong opinions on 18 Visions. Did you feel like that was uh, like, was that exciting for you or was that very much just like, oh, like that's just kind of what you're getting, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it was all exciting because we're young and like, you know, so young, 16 years old when we started the band, um, playing a show of vinyl records, vinyl solution was like super cool. (laughs) Right. Right. Huge. Um, playing our first show ever, we played at side by side skate rink in Huntington beach. And like, that was amazing. Right. So it was like getting shows. It's like this something you don't really like think is really going to happen. You're just kind of jamming with some friends and then it starts to snowball into something a little more. Right. And then a little more from there and a little more from there and you keep at it and it just continues to grow and grow. (laughs) So it's just, it's super exciting. It's super fun. Um, you know, you're in recording a demo and then it turns into, you know, somebody wanting to put your music out like on a record label. Right. And it's just, I mean, I think at the time you don't really care what anybody else thinks. You're just like, that's true. So engulfed in the excitement of it and the innocence of like what you're doing, you know, um, you're screwing around, um, in class writing lyrics about how shitty life is and like, you know, what's going on you know, in, in your life. And I, you know, I think a lot of people like, you know, in young bands try to connect and try to write about these things that are ailing them because of, of, you know, teen angst and whatnot. But like, I was really kind of going through it and like, I was still like dealing with, you know, things that had happened in my youth that, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have a father around and, you know, my mom worked her ass off to provide for me and my sister. So my mom wasn't around a ton. So it was just like kind of me doing my own thing and, you know, me gravitating to whatever would, you know, let me latch onto it. And, you know, the music was, you know, one of those things that kind of drew me away from everything else that was going on in my life, which looking back, you know, you know, had its good things and bad things to it, you know, Mm. definitely pulled me away from like the sports and athletics that I was into and that I was excelling and succeeding at. Right. Um, which looking back kind of bums me out a little bit that I didn't stick with that stuff, but you know, I'm stoked where I'm at today and yeah, you know, it's just life kind of takes its own course. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do think that there is, I mean that, that idea of people, you know, getting a reaction, out of what it is that you're doing because like you don't, you know, like, like you've mentioned with the, the youthfulness of it, you're not, you're not bargaining with how people are going to react to what it is you're doing. Like you just want people to be into it, you know, cause you're excited about, like you said, playing shows and that momentum as opposed to like, Oh, like I'm going to have to reconcile with this piece of art I released, you know, 10 years from now. It's like, right. no one has any foresight for that because you, you can't because you, otherwise you would be, you probably would never release anything because you would be too crippled by, fear being like, Oh, someone's going to pick through these lyrics in 10 years and be like, why did you say this? It's like, well, yep. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure this happened to you. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I mean, fast forward, you know, almost yeah, pretty much 20 years later right. from, you know, the, the 
the first thing we ever put out to, you know, this new album we put out now. And there's a lot of stuff that I know Keith and I both look back on that we just like cringe <laughs> yeah, at. Of it's course. Like, if I can go back in time right. and change how I approached that sure. vocal, or maybe this song didn't have to be six minutes long. Right. Um, you know, stuff like that where you just, you can't, but no, you know, and I think, I think too, you don't start thinking about like what other people are, are going to think about what you're doing until you've been in it for a while right. and you start to get that negative feedback. Right. You know, it's not all positive. Um, right. And I mean, I don't think I, I ever did anything to get like some crazy weird reaction. Um, you know, I definitely had different things that I was into and, you know, different, uh, stylings musically and visually, but I think more or less, I always took it as like, what can make us different from the band that's going on before us and the right. band that's going on after us outside of our music. Yeah. You know, I always kind of, um, try to take this concept that if you had the same band on the bill, right? Five band, five of the same exact band and they played the same exact songs. What would make one band stick out from the other, mm -hmm. you know, if they all sounded exactly the same to the T and it's going to be, you know, the band that has something visually a little more interesting to them. Absolutely. Right? And so that's how I always kind of took things because we're always trying to, um, you know, stand out, especially when you're on tour and, you know, you're in this sea of bands that are, you know, trying to break through and make it and, you know, get their music out there. There's those, those are those things you start to think about later on. You don't think about whether somebody's going to hate it right. or, or love it. You just want somebody to I remember just want to be you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You want to inspire reaction. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, when you fall into the middle, those are the bands that frankly don't have any impact whatsoever. Like right. people don't either have like, no matter what you mention for a band that you like, if you hate the band, you're going to immediately be like, Oh yeah, that band sucks. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like at least you inspired that reaction or the, obviously on the flip side is people like, Oh yeah, you know, ride and die for that band or whatever. Right. Otherwise it's just like, what do you think about the band? They're okay. Completely forgotten about, you know, totally. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, you, you have to do that. Like, I, I mean, to what you're talking about with the aesthetic, I was, I loved the fact that it's like you know, a band, like, uh, I remember that band Elliot from Louisville, Kentucky mm -hmm. that put out a couple records on Rev. Their whole thing was like, I saw them play at Coos and they basically dressed in like white shirts, you know, black ties, black pants. Because, you know, when you are a band member and you're setting up your own equipment, people are immediately going to be like, oh, he's wearing a bloodlet shirt. So of course they're going to be like metal or whatever. But like if a band is setting up and they just look like bank tellers, people have no idea what the band sounds like. And of course, like this doesn't, there's no way that this could exist in the internet now. But like, they, they got up there and you were just like, I don't know what Elliot sounds like. And then they play and you're just like, Oh wow, this is amazing. But like, that was their whole aesthetic. And to your point, that was the only real way that you could differentiate yourself. Yeah. You didn't have the internet back then. Right. You know, at least working the way that it does now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you're able to access what everybody looks like immediately, but yeah. <laughs> Um, focusing more on you. So you were, um, you know, I'm not going to, uh, nitpick a lot of the stuff that you've already talked about in a million other interviews, but like, you know, you were born in Chicago and then moved to Southern California, um, when you were young. And like you mentioned, your father wasn't in your life and your mom was, you know, completely on the grind, basically providing for you and younger sister. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, would you characterize like your family life as being kind of, you know, stressful because of that? Or was it just basically kind of all you knew? So you really just kind of existed. Yeah, I think, you know, once my 
parents split up, it was really all I knew. Right. Um, and how old were you when they got divorced? I was 11, maybe oh, okay. 10, 11. I was pretty young. Um, that, but that's still, you're, you're aware. <laughs> yeah. And then just coping and dealing with that and then dealing with like, you know, finding out like the reasons why and like, right. you know, adult stuff you know, that an 11 or 12 year old is trying to process. And so, I mean, it was, you know, yeah, I was living in it cause that's kind of all I kind of all I knew, Mm -hmm. um, when I was, you know, kind of starting to get a grasp on life. Um, but dealing with, dealing with those issues and coping with them, um, you know, trying to figure out like, you know, who I am because of it. And like, where am I supposed to go? Right. Because of, you know, because of it, when, you know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live my life? Like what choices should I, should I be making? Am I, and am I, am I making the right choices? Uh-huh. You know? And then it's like, then you start rebelling. Sure. You know, then you're like, you know, you kind of want to go the complete opposite of, course. of, you know, what you should be doing. So, there's just that. It's just, you know, figuring out life, figuring out who you are. Right. You know, dealing with that, struggling. Did you have, like, because of that, like, did you and your, did you feel like you and your sister got closer because of that? You guys felt like you needed to stick together or were you kind of dealing it, dealing with it in your own ways? Yeah, we dealt with it in completely different ways. Um, you know, and I think to this day, um, we still completely do like hundred percent right. different. Yeah. Um, you know, tried, tried getting her into hardcore, um, tried talking to her about straight edge, mm-hmm. um, that lifestyle, but that just wasn't, just wasn't who she was. It didn't interest her. Um, she had a different group of friends, you know, we both had like our two, like very troublemaker group of friends, you know, of like I had mine that, you know, I stumbled upon once I got into hardcore sure. and, you know, she had hers that, you know, weren't involved in hardcore that were just like troubled kids. Yeah. Uh, I would say the main difference was that like, because I played sports growing up and, and I was into athletics, I had those, like those friends that were a little more like narrow, you know, a little more, um, uh, more normal. Yeah. Typical, yeah, typical teenager that came from like a good family that like, supported them and loved them. Not that, not that mine didn't, but you know, they had two parents around and maybe mom was a stay at home mom back then, or, you know, they were financially well off. Um, they just, they, they were normal. I felt like maybe that kind of kept me a little bit more grounded too. Um, because once I stopped playing sports, I didn't stop hanging out with those people and I I still connected to them to this day, like, you know, 20 something years later. Yeah. Um, but I would say that would be the, the, the main difference between my, me and my sister mm-hmm. just are two different, totally groups of friends and the different paths that we went down. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, 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 you know, I mean, I knew that you were obviously into sports and, you know, self-described jock in regards to that big, cause I really think that, you know, whatever, I'll put both of us in the same class as far as, uh, you know, generationally speaking within hardcore, we obviously exist in the same scene, even though you're a few years older than me, the, um, the notion of combining sports and hardcore was still like a very, and more sports and punk in general, where it's still very much just like, I don't know, the jock mentality, like that was still a weird thing. But like, you know, you were able to exist in both of those cultures, even though I'm sure like your sports friends were just like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And then your, you know, friends that were obviously like, you know, more into hardcore and just be like, dude, James, what are you just, what are you playing baseball still for? This is ridiculous. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, so I we had a friend that um, was like, this is going to sound super lame, sure. but was like a very innovative like rollerblader. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> that's yeah, that's like that I was mean, the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like no joke. Like this kid was like a pioneer for it. And right. like he was super young. He was like 17, 18, 19 years old. Super young, super good. My friends gave him so much shit. He quit. Because you know, of that. Because yeah. of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I I had my own reasons for walking away from, from sports, but it's, I mean, a lot of my friends that I grew up playing ball with, the friends that I still hang out with and talk to to this day that mm-hmm. were like, you know, engulfed in sports right. and, you know, went on to get college scholarships and, and do stuff like that. Um, they were going to hardcore shows with me. Like it was cool. Like they were into like VOD and that's like, cool. So and, they were able to intermingle with, and one they were another. into like earth crisis and strife. They didn't know about like, you know, super, super underground bands and like the obscure, like record labels. Like they weren't going to like converge shows and like they weren't into right. botch, but like the stuff that was more accessible to them that was on like rev or victory, like they were into that and like they still are. That's cool. So it's like, yeah, it's, um, you know, cool that they weren't like super closed off to that. So I never really got the whole like, you know, Hey, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, or like, Hey, what's this, what's this like straight edge scene all about? Or like, Hey, like, what's this like sports thing you're doing? Like that's like, I never got pulled away by like a certain friend or like a certain group of friends. Everybody was pretty cool and chill with what I did. That's cool. Yeah. I do. I do think that our generation was very much a a tide in turning the fact that like, yeah, you can like sports and not be a jock, like the jock mentality in regards to like, I want to beat this person up because they look like a pussy or whatever. It's like, what? Like, and I probably had some of that until I was like, I mean, 17, 18, 19 Uh years old. But I mean, for the most part, it was due to me getting picked on in high school, like Mm -hmm. getting bullied by like older kids for being straight edge. Yeah. And like that really pulled out like that aggression from me rather than just like kind of, you know, um, cultivating it myself. Right. Um, it was more of like, you know, getting poked and prodded at over and over and over until you don't have a choice, but to push back. Right. Um, and you know, that's when I started becoming a little bit more, um, I guess jockish, you mm-hmm. know, m- men- mentally, but, sure. uh, you know, I was never like seeking out fights or like yeah, picking yeah. on other kids or bullying other kids. Like, you know, right. I just always just tried to mind my own business. Today's show is brought to you by an amazing company called Rockabilia. Now, you know, what do they do? They sell band merch. But there are so many things that set it apart from all of the other fly-by-night companies that you've probably, you know, maybe accidentally ordered from before. But so let me tell you some amazing facts about Rockabilia. First of all, they've existed for 30 years. The real deal. Since 1987, they've been around. And it's your complete one-stop shop for all band merch. Like if you're looking for pop, punk, metal, whatever it is. You can order it from them. Like if you're like, you know what? I really need an Epic Gates t-shirt. And you know what I also need? I, I love Newfound Glory, so I'm going to do that. And they offer both. It, very few places you'll be able to find that stuff. And they have over 500,000 items to choose from. And hard to find stuff that you won't find that you won't be able to see anywhere else. They also have officially licensed product. So all that horrible stuff. If you ever try to Google band merch, it's an absolute nightmare. And then if you decide to go order it off of Amazon or something like that, 
99.9% of that product, and that's just a number I made up, but uh, let's say a wide majority of these pieces of band merch that you would randomly order are not officially licensed. So therefore, the artist is not getting any payment out of that. And it's just, it, it's, it's a great company. I, I haven't ordered from them recently, but I did, you know, some maybe 10 or so years ago, got a few pieces of merch, loved the process, super easy, was able to save my, you know, credit card information, everything else. And um, yeah, I could not recommend them anymore. So go to rockabilia.com and you'll be able to order a bunch of stuff. Please do it. All right. Rockabilia, they're the real deal. They get their bands paid. It's legit. And plus, then you'll be like, yo, I look cool because I got new band merch. So rockabilly.com, check them out. You've always struck me for as long as I've known you. Like you are are a, you know, outgoing and friendly person, like in regards to the fact that, you know, I mean, obviously being a front person of a band, there needs to be some semblance of like, oh yeah, like I like people. Um, Was that always kind of the case in regards to you as as a human? Or was that something you kind of had to, you know, break out of your shell and feel like you... um, had the confidence to be like, Oh yeah, I am outgoing. Um, no, I've always been pretty outgoing. Um, just, you know, uh, going back to like my early years of elementary school, like Mm -hmm. I always had a pretty good group of friends, but I was always bullied like by older kids, like two, you know, two or three grade levels up from me for, for whatever reason. Um, getting my video games stolen. Right. Um, just like, you know, people try to be your friend. Hey dude, like, you know, can I borrow this and let them borrow it and like never get it back. Like those, <laughs> those people, yeah, you know, yeah. um, getting pushed around on a playground. Right. Um, I think maybe a lot of it had to do with like, I was in like combo classes okay. in elementary school. So, you know, for third grade, I was in a three, four, right, um, right. so I was on the other side of school. Like I was with the bigger kids and the older kids. And, you know, maybe that's why those things started to happen to me at a, at a young early age. But, um, you know, even through all that, like I still had like a pretty good group of friends growing up. Um, and then too, like playing sports, like you, you know, you learn how to be a teammate. You skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You learn how to be a teammate and like, you know, support your buddy that, you know, might completely suck at baseball. Of course. But you know what I mean? You're like, still like, Hey dude, like, you know, good job. Like pat on the back. Like, of course you learned, you learned to be that person. So I feel like, you know, even if you don't end up like a life in sports, like, you know, crushing it in high school and getting college scholarships or like, you know, going pro, I still think there's a lot to learn from it. Absolutely. Um, in the early years of just like being a teammate and how to interact and socialize with people that are either better than you at the same level than as you, or, you know, maybe not at the same level as you, right. Um, you know, you learn that acceptance. Totally. Yeah. yeah no, that's, that's a very important point. Um, so the, I, I wanted to pull in one thread where you're talking about the, um, you know, the notion of being bullied because obviously the, you know, being straight edge and stuff like that. Cause you, did you go to all four years at Huntington? Uh, three, three. Of them, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, cause that, that, that definitely was a, you know, in the mid nineties, a shift of people being like, like, you know, straight edge becoming more pervasive, especially within the orange County hardcore scene. And like, you know, now existing like in high schools and stuff like that, where people kind of knew what it was. Um, but it's interesting that people were, yeah, just bullying you based on the fact like, Oh, you don't drink. And like, that was really a, a big pain point for you. Yeah. It started my freshman year. Jeez. Um, I mean, it was brutal. Like, yeah. you know, I, going into high school played uh football it was like the first year I was ever allowed to play football and I was like so stoked on it and like everybody like everybody on my team like picked on me because I didn't drink and like 
I wasn't a stoner and right. it just sucked. And so like, that was a huge reason why I moved schools. So I moved over to Huntington and like, you know, again, I'm like the new kid and you know, my best friend went there. Um, he was, he was, I was a year, well, we were the same age, but I was a grade ahead of him. Okay. And so his freshman year, all these dudes that I played baseball with were coming into that school. So I had like some built in friends and then I met other straight edge dudes right. and, uh, another, another dude that was, was edge at the time transferred over with me from Fountain Valley. And even then, man, I still got picked on by straight edge kids, like by, by like juniors and seniors. Right. They, they just felt like you were young and dumb and you weren't yeah. really straight edge enough yet. Yeah. Right. Pretty much. So, um, and it's so, which is so lame because so lame. maybe, maybe one of those dudes is still edge. Right. Maybe. And also it could, it could have complete. I mean, obviously you went the other direction and you were, you know, very committed to your beliefs in regards to that, but you could have completely swung the opposite direction and be like, I don't care about straight edge or a hardcore scene because of these dicks. And like yeah. you have that singular experience. It just turns you off. So I was getting it from that angle. Yeah. And then I was getting it from the other angle with again, dudes that were like two, three years older than me that just happened to be in a class with me or something. Right. And they were just, you know, the, um, I guess like the sea cliff, like, Oh sure. Cool. Like rich kids. Right. Right. That, right. Right. You know, had cool cars and, you know, partied and, you know, just, I, I was getting it from all angles. It's yeah. 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 You know? That does suck. Yeah. Um, is and this is going to sound weird, but like is 18 visions, like ostensibly your first band. Like, did you play in anything else? No, that, that was it. Like, okay. <laughs> which yeah. is, that's so weird. So yeah, I mean, I, I was into music right. obviously. Um, but Ken, Ken Floyd and Dave Peters, who I started the band with, um, asked me if I wanted to like sing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure. And there was this other kid and another dude that were involved early on. Right. And, I think it was actually the other dude, this dude, Ethan, that played guitar as well, mm -hmm. that actually got me in with them. Oh, okay. And he ended up not sticking and we practiced, uh, you know, five or six times. And right. Dude, I got kicked out of the band for Russ from Eyelid. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> I forgot about that. So Russ from Eyelid <laughs> is singing for, you know, what would later become 18 Visions. I don't know what it was called at the time. Yeah. Um. This is like, I think maybe he was starting to develop Eyelid and, right. and, you know, they played one show with him and then like, that was it. And then Eyelid became a band. Right. And, but you'd never, but you had never like screen, you'd never no, done anything. So there was basically like, James is cool. Maybe he can yell in this mic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, I never had like any aspirations to like sing or be in a band. It right. was just like, you know, I was never like. Hey, I'm going to do this. So right. I was like, well, sports was your track. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I was like really, really good. So right. I was like, I'm going to play baseball and like, see where that goes. Hopefully get a scholarship. Yeah. You know? and yeah. Yeah. Got into this band and my grades started sucking. <laughs> and then, you know, the next thing you know, it's like, Hey, uh, you know, we need you to show up for, you know, baseball class. I was like, well, what is that? Like, okay, well, you, you know, we tend to the field and we drag the field and we lift weights and yeah. we run up and down the stairs. I was like, that sounds lame. Yeah. That sounds terrible. And so I, I, I quit. Right. Which is like stupid because <laughs> I wake up at five thirty every day. Right. 
and I go run right at the gym and yeah. I like throw around a couple weights. Totally. Like, You're like, I I'm wish like, I could have done that back then right? working on my fitness, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's super stupid. That that's a reason why I quit, but that's, you know, a huge reason. I was like more interested in, in music and hanging out with my buddies after school of course. and yeah, like yeah. doing band practice. And yeah, so I just completely fell into it and I don't remember how it got brought about of me, um, being back in the band, but I did, yeah. um, I joined back up with them. We went through, you know, a ton of lineup changes before, um, we even, you know, recorded a demo right? and then did the whole demo thing, changed her band name a couple more times. Sure. Um, yeah, it was just, you just trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know? Like yeah, what's yeah. this, like, wh- okay, we got this band. What's it going to be? Right. Like, what's it going to like, who's going to be in it? Like, okay, <laughs> right. this dude doesn't want to play anymore. No. Okay. Now, well now what are we going to do? Yeah. We met, an- we met another guy that can fill in or whatever. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, you know, the band kind of figuring itself out for yeah. a while. Well, yeah. and I think too, because like, even though, you know, like you've technically like 18 visions was your first band and then you existed in it for obviously many, many years. The fact that you have gone through, you know, shape shifting changes, not only, aesthetically but then also sonically where it's just like you know there are very few people where you could put on you know the lifeless cp and be like oh this is 18 visions people would be like huh like i don't i don't i don't you can see the through line for it but like you know there's there's so much uh, distance between those two things so that's why it's like you were growing up in public in the the quote-unquote public eye even though it's you know ostensibly smaller you like it wasn't you were a mainstream celebrity or anything like that but the, the notion of people were paying attention to what you were doing and you had to make all of those, you know, weird, uh, well not weird, but you had to make the, the, whatever failure you had from a musicianship standpoint was out there for everybody to see. Yeah. It's crazy too, because you know, we have our old fans that were like, Oh, I absolutely hate. Yes. You know, the last album or I hate the last two or three albums. Totally. You know, and then you have all these new fans that, especially on the last album. Right that are like digging it. Right? right. And they're like, they come up to you at a show <laughs> like, man, I love you guys. I saw you here. Right. I bought all your old albums. Like what, what the happened? hell totally. is up with those albums? Right. It's not like trash you know cans I mean? being thrown down a hallway. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> there's no middle ground. There is you know not. what I mean? And, and if there was, it was just like a small percentage yeah. of fans, you know, totally. and the fans that were still coming out were like, which was so awesome. We're coming out because we were still playing like yeah. a couple songs off vanity of and course. like obsession, you right. know, but like for the most part, anything pre that was, was gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, and I, I, yeah, I think that's, that's, I mean, I'm glad you explained it that way. The, um, you know, did you like, you know, as, as 18 vision started to, you know, go out and tour and everything like that, did you, um, like, did you immediately like the touring lifestyle and get adjusted to that pretty quickly? Or is that something you kind of had to learn? To no, get? I loved it. Okay. It was I, like, I'm just so mellow and like so easygoing. Yep. Um, you know, I don't like nitpick a lot. I don't like, I'm not much for like arguing. Right. Like my wife and I never fight. Sure. Like, rarely. Cause yeah. we're just not wired that way. Right. And it's like, life's too short to like pick apart like the small shit. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so like, I never did that with my friends or my bandmates. I always tried to be super easygoing. I think like if my bandmates got bummed on me, it's cause like I might've like, maybe I broke stuff or like raged too hard or like, right. You know, dumb stuff. Yeah. did stupid stuff to like make the band look stupid. Like, you know, in a club, like 
you know, trash in a dressing room or something right, because right. I just read Motley Crue the dirt. Sure. Or, you know, just like stupid. Of course. Stupid stuff like that. It's like, okay, looking back at myself, like, yeah, I would be bummed on myself. Right, right. Too, <laughs> totally. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which years later, you know, I'm, I'm in a, another band and like having to babysit kids that were like doing way stupider shit than I was, you know? Right. Um, so I, you know, I always found it like pretty easy. I found it interesting. I found it fun and exciting. And, um, yeah, it was always just like so mellow. It wasn't until you start growing up and getting older and like, there's bills to pay and you know, relationships and friendships and all these things you're missing out on at home that start to like take its toll on you. Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm at a point in my life now where I could never imagine like going out and grinding it totally on the road. Yeah. You want want to go out for two and a half months? No, not at all. Absolutely. (laughs) Not not. even for a second. No. (laughs) Millions of dollars involved. Right. Then we'll talk about it. Right. Yeah. Then (laughs) then I I might consider it, but let's be honest. Yeah. (laughs) The, um, something else that I found so interesting and kind of, you know, uh, this isn't like a two pronged question, but I'll lead into the second one after we tackle this first one where, maybe I was just paying so much attention to it just because, I mean, I myself was straight edge, obviously playing in bands, um, where like the rise of violence with straight edge and crews and that whole mentality that started to happen in the mid nineties. And then uh, it was so weird because to me, you always were thrust into the uh, poster boy status for people looking for whether it was like, I so distinctly remember cutting out an article in the Orange County Register with you wearing like a, a hockey jersey of like yep. Colorado Avalanche or something yep. like that. Yep. Yeah. So, but I just, I so distinctly remember where I was just like, oh, that's cool. Like they're doing an article on Straight Edge. But like obviously it was a very much like, oh, like there are positive aspects, but like look at all this violence. And it always seemed to be you were kind of like the person that was like thrust up into like, Oh, James Hart lead singer of 18 visions because of this. Um, I presume that was really in certain respects stressful for you because people were like looking to you as being some sort of, you know, leader in regards to this where I'm sure you never signed up for this sort of thing. Yeah, no, it sucked for sure. I mean, definitely got in like my fair share of fights, right? Like at shows outside of shows, like at school, outside of school, um, but again, like I said, it, it, it goes back to like being poked and prodded at right. my, you know, in my youth, like, sure. you know, getting pushed around and like, you know, and finally, like at some point you're going to lash out. Right. And I, I never went like looking for fights right. or like starting fights. And I remember like me and some of my friends specifically trying to avoid them and just not being able to because somebody's, you know, being a drunk asshole or trying to like, you know, size wise, trying to bully you around. Um, or, you know, a bunch of dudes at a show, like singling out one of your friends you know, like, and I mean like outsiders to a show. Right. I mean, one, one specific incident, um, is at an earth crisis, earth crisis VOD show at the palace okay. in LA and like some Nazis at the show, which was like fairly common occurrence sure. back then, especially would, in LA. They, yeah, they yeah. would sprout up every once in a while yep. and like already tensions are high because right. there's racism in a venue where we preach uh, social acceptability, of course, you know, and so already all eyes are on these people. Right. And like, 
they're not used to a hardcore like setting and like a mosh pit and like totally. what goes on. So like they get hit the, the wrong way that they don't want to. And like all of a sudden a fight breaks out, you yep. know, and then it gets taken outside and you know, um, you know, all hell breaks loose. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just stuff like that that you kind of get thrust into because you're protecting your friends or right. protecting yourself. Um, and then for me, the whole crew thing, you know, uh, started out as just like something to call our group of friends. Of course. That was like super innocent. Right. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you know, you let other friends in and other friends in and friends in different States and different cities. And, you know, they go on caring about business in a different way. Um, and you know, people get hurt, things start getting violent. And all of a sudden, like those dudes are violent, like, you know, don't let these dudes into shows like ATV wasn't allowed to play certain venues because of who I was and who I was associated with. And, you know, just, it kind of sucks because I wasn't like that dude, you know, but I got branded that dude. Totally. Um, you know, which is, which is definitely a, you know, a bummer. And like, I, I, I worked personally very, very hard to like break that stigma of like myself and the band. Yeah. And like, we had to like prove ourselves like that, you know, violence wouldn't happen at our shows or, you know, that I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. Or my friends wouldn't do this or do that. Like I had to sit down and talk to my friends before we would go on stage or like before we play a show. Hey dudes, no matter what, keep it chill, chill out. Yeah, like, yeah. No matter what, no matter who hits you from what angle or why, just don't do anything. Don't react. Right. Yeah. Like I'm trying to do something positive here. Like with, you know, my friends and like be a part of this. It's something I love. Like, don't ruin this for me, please. You know? And so you work hard and, um, you know, thankfully like we worked our way to like acceptance with some of these clubs and venues and promoters and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy road. Sure. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, the only reason I mentioned it is just because like, like I said, just from an outsider's perspective where it was like, you know, because I like, I didn't go to high school in, you know, Orange County. It's like, I went to like, you know, Lutheran high in orange, but like, obviously existing in the same rooms as each other. It was like, I always knew you as this, you know, friendly, caring person. And then it's like, I would see the way that other people would carry around baggage. and just like, Oh yeah. Like fuck James Hart. And just, I was always just like, like he's literally never done anything to me or any of my friends. I can't say one bad word about that person. So I always just found this really, um, this interesting juxtaposition of who you were as a person versus obviously what other people's opinions were. And granted a lot of that is just dumb young scene drama. Totally. But like, I, I, I appreciate you laying it out in regards to the fact that, you know, there was an act at like, even if it was young, dumb scene drama, just having to put forth like, all right, we got to concentrate on like, not like doing everything we can to dispel this stupid stuff that has followed us for, you know, whatever, how many ever years and stuff like that. So, but I appreciate you laying it out like that. Yeah. I mean, I remember, gosh, like one of the early shows we were allowed to play at chain reaction, like right right after it was calming down. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it was public storage, right? That's what it was called. And then we weren't allowed to play there. And then Ron let us play. Yep. And it was cool. Right. And then he let us play again and again and again. And like this dude, I used to be buddies with like him and some of my friends got into it like on, in that little side area at chain. And I'm, I literally tried to break up a fight. Yeah. And this dude I used to be buddies with popped me on the head with brass knuckles. Yeah. And like, I wanted more than anything to destroy this dude. (laughs) 
And like it took everything in me to not. Sure. Because like my band was playing a show right. there. Right. And like we were finally allowed to play there. Right. Like you're like, I'd worked so hard to get yeah. to this point. And yeah. like and that was like one situation that just like was like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Like I'm trying to I'm trying to like diffuse the situation here. And like I'm I'm still getting like thrust into it. Right. Doing everything I can to stop it getting thrust into it. Just it just yeah. sucked. And then like growing up in high school, like the police there, like classifying straight edge as, as a, a gang, as a white power gang. Oh, as a, Oh, I didn't, white, I never knew yeah. it had that distinction. White power. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I remember like me and Ken Floyd talking to the principal one day <laughs> and like the principal straight up called Ken to his face, white power. He's like, dude, I'm happy. You're like, yeah, do you even do like, you see what my, not to mention like, dude, like we don't believe that. No, I don't care what you believe. This is what the police are telling me that you are. So yes, Ken, you are white power. It's that is insane right, yeah. to me. Insane. <laughs> it does make no sense whatsoever. That is so, so crazy. Yeah. Your smile. You would agree that's important, right? Yeah? I think so too. And there is a rad company that we work with called Smile Direct Club. And they believe that you shouldn't have to pay a fortune to get a smile that you'll love. And other people will be like, hey, that person's got a good smile. So they work directly with state certified dentists and orthodontists to ship custom invisible aligners right to your door each month. So you don't have those ridiculously expensive in-office visits, embarrassing wires, or frankly, wasting money. And so you can get started with an impression kit, which is done in the privacy of your own home at your own schedule for 95 bucks. They ship it right to your door. It's awesome. It's covered by the smile guarantee. So if your liners are not a good fit, you get your money back. Not to mention Smile Direct Club is extremely affordable. And the aligner treatment is 60% less than other brands or braces. And you could save even more with insurance or a flexible spending account. Many dental insurance plans reimburse customers for a portion of the cost of the invisible aligners. And Smile Direct Club accepts all FSAs, flexible spending accounts, for those of you not in the medical know. <laughs> Plus, the listeners of this very show get 50% off this evaluation cost. Now, I've been talking to you about Smile Direct Club, and it's cool because I get feedback from listeners being like, hey, I tried this out, and I really enjoy it, and I did too. The kit comes super quick and easy. You, uh, you, you have fun with the, the little you know, paste and mold that you put in your uh, – it's not a retainer, but like the, uh, the, the you know, dental thing that you put in your mouth to get the impressions. Um, apologies for the uh, untechnical terms on this, but I just get, uh, I get excited to talk about it because it, it is so cool. And it makes it so easy. What you do is you, you know, take those impressions, toss them in the box, send them back. And then every so often they ship you the new aligners to make your smile awesome. So I need you to save 50% off the cost of Smile Direct's Smile Direct Club's at-home impression kit by visiting smiledirectclub.com and using the promo code WORDS. That's smiledirectclub.com promo code WORDS. And now... That's just what you need to do, okay? Please enjoy it, make your smile better, and thank me later for it, okay? SmileDirectClub.com, promo code WORDS. Now back to the show. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored 
guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. In almost every single interview, people always bring up the, you know, like, oh, like fashion core and like how that existed. Like to me, anytime anybody talks about that, I always feel like it's very um, people approach it very much just like, oh, it's cute. You guys did that. And like, it's it's fun. But like, I mean, I personally saw the lineage of obviously what you guys were not only what you were directly influenced by because of just the sheer logistics of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, uh, like Ken was working at Banana Republic. So like we got free clothes. And like, yeah. Like and then plus, you know, you and Javier obviously going through, you know, esthetician school. That's what you call it, right? Uh, cosmetology. Cosmetology. Yeah. Esthetician if you're taking care of skin. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So cosmetology school, but like, so I saw the lineage of it and like it made sense to me. And then I think it, you know, what I think a lot of people don't, they don't view it through the prism of like, you were trying to differentiate yourself, like in a positive way, not in like a, Oh, look at us because we're like rock stars. But it was a matter of like aesthetically trying to, um, draw a line in the sand. Did you ever feel like people like basically just did not take you seriously because of that? Um, yeah, um, for sure. Um, every, every now and again, um, and the whole fashion core thing, it's funny because like we, like people think we started that, we coined that term. It wasn't like, it wasn't us. It was like given to us. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go to a a show, a specific show that like really sticks out to me. Um, so we're out on the take action tour oh, yeah. with Dillinger Escape Plan, Poison the Well, um, Further Seems Forever, and Avenged. And we're playing at um, Irving Plaza, mm-hmm. New York City. And there's this dude up front, um, front row, and he keeps calling me a faggot. Right. Like, get off the stage, you fucking faggots. You're a faggot. Get off the stage. Fuck you. And so... I get off stage and like I hop down there and I'm like, dude, what is your fucking problem? <laughs> right. like, oh, I didn't say anything. I was like, dude, no, I, I was literally, I clearly you. heard you. Like, what's your problem? He's like, oh, I just fucking don't like you guys. Cause you're fashion corn. You're from long Island. I was like, <laughs> you were clearly mistaking. I was us. like, dude, so, um, <laughs> that band is called from autumn to ashes, sir. So, you, are, you are mistaking us. So like I grabbed him and I kissed him on the mouth. That's so good. And I slapped him across the face. <laughs> right. And I said, now you can call me a faggot. It's perfect. It's like, dude, like, it's like the, the ignorance of, you know, certain people that, I, I mean, I don't know who that dude was there for. No, you no know, idea. I have no, I have no idea, but like just the onslaught of heckling and like the, ne- like the negative words that came out of his mouth. Like yeah. it just, you know, we would, we would get that from time to time, right? you know, like where nowadays, like if somebody throws out the word faggot at a show, yeah, like a hardcore show, oh yeah, like tw- especially towards a band, totally like dude, that person's getting carried out of yeah, that yeah. venue by the entire venue. Of course. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? 
And so, I mean, obviously this happened like well over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that it was acceptable, but like, you know, people weren't like, people didn't know how to grasp that. Right. Yeah, and yeah. like, it wasn't like as, um, yeah, it wasn't something that people freaked out as much over. Sure. I guess. Right. Um, but you know, when, when you're out on, when, when you're up on stage and you know, you're doing your thing and like somebody's like, you know, bringing that much negativity just because of something that they, th- that they think you are. Obviously that dude had no clue who we were or what we were or right. like what we were about, um, or even where we were from. Right. Um, you know, it, it just, it sucks. And you know, it's, um, it makes it hard to deal with sometimes, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I definitely, it, it's like, it was the, uh, I think that one of the pinnacle moments that I, I remember watching you guys, I think it was Hellfest. I want to say 2000, possibly it was like taken wasn't playing, but we were out there. And I just remember that it was like, that was the first time where I felt like the, um, the groundswell of support for you guys like started to exist. It was just like, Oh, cause like it, even though you guys were touring and obviously active from a national perspective, I always viewed you as a local band. And so like when you travel like 3000 miles away and you're just like, Holy shit. Like all these people are into 18 visions, like in the same way that I'm used to watching them play at showcase. And, and it was also the aesthetic that you were presenting of just like, oh yeah, like, you know, mannequin head severed and all that sort of stuff. And it was very much just like, oh, so something weird's happening in Orange County and like people need to pay attention to it. And, and, but, but then on the flip side, I did see, like you said, people reacting to it in a way where it was like, oh no, like we, you know, this doesn't, this isn't the, you know, Jinko wearing jeans era and like totally all of a sudden this started to not exist anymore. And like, we're not ready for that. Yeah. No, no. They, I feel like generally, um, you know, when you move into the Midwest and move back East sure. and you're out on tour, like, no, they weren't ready for it <laughs> because, you know, me and Hav were coloring our hair of course. because it's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we were going to school for that. That's like what we were going to do. Right. And are currently doing for our careers. Right. You're so like, I've like, got all this dye. Like, so like what is it? <laughs> like, that's what, that's, that's what we were into. Yeah. And like, you know, we liked the way some of these bands from San Diego were dressing. Of course. You know, the locusts. Totally. Like, they looked cool. Unbroken. I like Unbroken right. was sick. Totally. I liked the button down shirts and like the high watered, like yeah. super tight hemmed, jeans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, hemmed pants and like the creepers yeah. and you know, that stuff was like, that's cool. So that's like what we were around. Like those, that's what like the bands that we were going to see were kind of looking like. So it's like, it's a logical extension. Yeah. Totally. And totally. like, you know, we're, we're working in, um, you know, I guess like fashion retail, banana right. Republic, me and Ken, and you know, we're doing hair and like <laughs> coloring our hair. So it's like, let's, I mean, we put it all together and you know, a, a lot of people would dug it. They were into it. Yeah, you know, yeah. you took it back East and, and they weren't, they didn't get it so much. It totally took, took a lot longer. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, then, you know, kind of like you mentioned earlier where it's like, as things became more serious where it's like, you know, you guys send Epic and, you know, there was, a, you know, national attention and touring. And once you became part of the, you know, music industry machine, um, you know, and you were relying on your band f- to make your living, um, did, did it ever for you kind of feel like out of control from that perspective or was it just like, oh wow, now this kind of feels like a job. Like how was that all kind of sitting in your head as things were transpiring? Um, I mean, we at the time thought like we were really going to make it. Sure. Like the amount of bullshit this label, specifically like the president of the label was feeding us 
and feeding our A&R guy and feeding our management right. was like, it felt like it was going to happen for us. Mm-hmm. Like we had like the material, like we had, you know, the fan base. Sure. So it wasn't something that they had to build from scratch, you know, and they completely went about marketing the band the wrong way. Um, and, and utilizing what we had already given them, mm-hmm. uh, properly. Um, you know, and I think, you know, it was, uh, God, it was, I, I mean, once, once the album was like starting to get released mm-hmm. and we kind of had to start playing ball with them sure, and like play their game. Right. That's when it started to feel like it wasn't yours anymore. Yeah. 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 Just, it wasn't, we had lost control. Um, you know, from them choosing the first single, a song that we loved, but didn't view as like the right first song to Mm -hmm. like introduce to our current fan base and a new fan base and the format at radio that they were trying to, Mm -hmm. um, market, uh, just, yeah, it just became a different, a different thing. And then, you know, they relatively fixed the problem. Uh, short term by kind of they they came out and saw the band. We were out on tour with the Venge Sevenfold and they're like, Oh, this is like a heavy band. Sure. Yeah. Like cool. All right. Well maybe like, you know, we had one woman in particular, Cheryl Valentine mm-hmm. at our label that was like fighting for us and fighting for like the right single. Right. And they finally gave it to her and like I feel like maybe she might have lost her job because of us, which sucks. But sure. you know, she had that kind of passion about mm-hmm our band and the album and the song and like what it should be and like what it wasn't at the time. And we were able to gain a lot of traction with that. But then, you know, we became at the top of the year, a victim of like the reality of a major label sure. and like their quarterly projections and expenses. And, Oh, we have, $200,000 budgeted for a video for this song and we can't spend that. So we're going to drop you. It's like, not like the alternative, like, Hey, we'll give you 10 grand. Right. It's like, you're like, we was, can, we can use that. Right, there's right. like no, like no in between. And like, you know, because we were trying to like make a living and because we were trying to like, um, make touring easier because we were trying to make our show better. We had spent a lot of money, Yeah, you know, like we, we had a big crew, we had, you know, some production or show we were on a bus and you know, we toured for so long and grinded it out that we wanted to be comfortable. Of course. And so we were taking more money than we were making for the label and, you know, eventually became, you know, casualty of it all. Right. It just just became a totally different vehicle. Sure. You know, it just, um, having a bus was fun and of it was great. Yeah, yeah. And like, there were some awesome times for right. sure. Some great shows, um, did some things and played, you know, played some festivals and saw some bands that I, I never would have gotten to see or do or play. Right. But you know, it lost its luster. For sure. sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, like you said, when, once it feels out of control, that's when you're just like, oh yeah, we're, you kind of, you start to go through the motions and then you don't, you know, you don't realize it until you're just like, oh yeah, like what did we just do? Like this feels, yeah, it feels weird. Um, 
when you, and then, so when you kind of transitioned out of touring life and like you said, um, well, actually like we joked about before, uh, we started recording where you started to figure out your life and be like, well, what would like, you know, what am I going to do now? Because I'm not, you know, on the road, whatever, you know, 200 days out of the year. Um, was that a, was, was that a tough transition for you or was that like, uh, you just kind of flipped into survival mode in a way? Yeah. So, you know, after 18 visions I did, um, you know, burn halo for yep. gosh, a few years. And that started off very, very, it was, it was a weird start. Like got signed to a major label immediately. Totally. Um, made a big record, um, got a nice advance, um, got dropped from the label immediately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> had to find a home for the, for the album. Um, did that. And then it was off to a really, really nice start. Sure. Um, it really was. And I was doing something that was like, you know, fun for me. I was, uh, um, you know, tapping a different side of myself vocally and basically that like I'd never gotten to do before. And the smart thing would have just been to start a new metalcore band and like, you know, build off of like what 18 visions had. Of course. But you know, I just completely went 180 and like really swung for the fences. I tasted a little bit of like what like real success in the industry could be like with 18 V and so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Like, I can't see myself doing anything else. Right. Like, so why not go for it? And so I did. And, you know, it started off great. And then, you know, the bumps in the road started coming. Right. And, you know, it took, um, you know, a few years. I think it was 2010. Mm-hmm. To the, no, 2012. Uh, the band I started to feel like was starting to like kind of work its way out of working. Sure. You know, it ran out of steam. Yes. (laughs) Ran out of steam. The parts weren't there. Um, and I was starting to like really stress out on the road Mm -hmm. with like what life for me was starting to look like. Sure. And I had kind of figured that like, you know, I think it was like two month, two months into like a three and a half month tour that like, this is it for me. Yeah. And like, I've, I've reached my end. Yes. And like, so when I, you know, when I get home, like I'm going to, you know, settle my feet and like go find a job right? and start to work a career in hair. Sure. Um, so and I, you, you'd always kind of done that. Like when you came home from tours, yeah, right? I did. Just yeah. like I had clients and yeah. You just, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep. Okay. And I'd always, I'd always kind of had my hands in it. So it wasn't totally trying to relearn something yeah, like years later. Um, and so, you know, I, I did that and struggled mightily, you know, okay. like the bumps were like bigger and harder than what I was dealing with, with the band mm-hmm. and like, you know, my first paycheck was like 80 bucks. Sure. And God, I was just like, man, did I make the right decision? You know, this is just like, like, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? Like I'm in my early thirties. I'm like making, like I'm making next to nothing. Sure. Like this is tough, but you know, I, I stuck it out. I grinded it out. Um, was, was there ever any, um, you know, just because there, there's that weird feeling, especially like as you, you know, just because you had played in a band for so long, the sort of, um, you know, uh, I don't have a better way to describe it other than sort of like, you know, ego gratification of obviously getting in front of people and like having that sort of validation. Um, was there any of that playing itself inside your head? No, not at all. Not, not even remotely. Um, the only thing that was, was tough was coming to grips with like, 
not doing it anymore. Right. You know, and I remember like I sat down with Keith one day and was like, um, Hey dude, like, like how did you cope with not touring anymore? Right. And like not being in a band anymore. Yeah. Like, what did that look like for you? And okay. like, you know, he said it wasn't easy, but you know, at the same time for him, like he's a guitar player, like writing music's going to come easier to him than right. it is for me. For you, yeah. So he's got these like other outlets and he's had these other outlets where, you know, he can create and like put out music and like, you know, maybe play a show or two and like have it be fun. Right. Yep. Um, I didn't have that. It was like kind of one of those all or nothing things right. for me. Right. Um, and I would say, uh, it was around January of 2013 mm-hmm. that like my, my bandmates from burn halo had come down from Sacramento for Nam, mm-hmm. and they met with this like manager dude who I knew and they wanted me to meet up with them and, and discuss like the band, which right. I was pretty much, I didn't say I quit, but like I had done nothing totally. Right. And like, I was completely checked out. Right. And they're like, Hey, we want you know, we want to do this with you. And I was like, well, you know, like, you know, my career is like starting to pick up. Like I've worked hard over the last few months. I'm starting to build some steam. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm liking where I'm at. Like I got like a new girlfriend at home. Like, right. you know, there's stuff I'm excited about. Yeah, here. totally. Yeah. You know? And like, she like she's a normal girl. She doesn't know like <laughs> yeah, yeah. what hardcore can't bring her into this weird stuff, touring right? is like, <laughs> right. you know, or like, you know, the music scene, like she doesn't get it. You know what right. I mean? So it's like, I don't want to thrust her into that. Like I like where I'm at. And you know, I tried to like pitch like them finding a replacement mm-hmm. and like they weren't having it. So like it ended up boiling down to like, well, and, and me, I was all about like, I want to create, I want right. to write music, you know? So it's like, okay, well, why don't I like write and record this album or write this album for you at least? And, sure. Or like, you know, maybe record it and like, you'll find somebody else like, no, well, we, we want you. It's like, well, how about, you know, I write and record this album and then, um, you know, I'll do what I can right. show wise. And like, they were cool with that. Well, it took a couple years for that album to come out. Right. Like at this point, like now I'm engaged to this yeah. girl that I was dating. Right. And like now, um, actually I think, I, I think I just gotten married actually okay. when the album finally came out Sure, and they wanted to like do all this touring and I was, and, and like I, like now I'm like, you're living work, your life, man. Now I'm like working in a salon. I went from making 80 bucks a week to like, now I like have an assistant that works with me and I'm like double booking clients and like, I'm busy and like yeah, yeah. earning a living and like totally saving money for things yeah, and yeah, like yeah. going on vacation. Yeah. And you're like, doing adult stuff, right? Life is sick. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> right. And it was like, I, I can't. And so like I did, I, I went out twice right. for, uh, two weeks at a time mm-hmm. and I was miserable. I hated it. Yeah. Like I was away from my job, which stressed me out. Of course. You know, it's not like, you know, I can work from the road. Yeah. yeah. You, know, like, <laughs> you know, if I'm, if you know, and I was getting a lot of new business. So if like, if I'm not in the salon, right. A, I can't take my current clients and B, I can't take new business. So I'm losing out on like continuing totally. to build my career and like my foundation and my future. And so I'm taking a huge risk for like, n- like hardly any, like, 
you know, financial stability. And like, now I've got a, you know, a wife and a family to provide and, and, you know, know, provide for, and it's just not panning out for me. And, you know, I came home, um, from a couple weeks since like in, I think it was in December, I went out early December Mm -hmm. and basically, uh, was transitioning to a different salon. So this is 2015, 2016. Sure. And I kind of got into it with, uh, with our manager mm-hmm. and I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. Like I'm over <laughs> yeah, it. This is like, dumb, I'm right. over it. And so like that feeling I had gotten of like, Oh, struggling to like, man, I might never play music again. Yeah, I yeah. might never write music again. That like kind of like saddened me. Like I didn't experience it that this time. Totally. At all. Like yeah, I you didn't go, you I didn't go, past through, it. Right. I didn't go through that. Like yeah, I was yeah. checked out. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. Yeah. Like this is my career. Like I have more important things to worry about. Right. Like if I write music again someday, cool. Like, but I'm never going to play in a band again. Totally. It's just not, not the cards. Not, no. Right. And like I was a hundred percent accepting of it this time, Yeah. you know? And like, I was in such a great place and then fucking Keith calls yeah, me up. Keith, yeah, yeah, yeah man. Yeah, and yeah. like, hey, Keith, again, right? Keith calls me up a few <laughs> months later. He's like, dude, like I got these songs, like let's jam. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, well, all right. I guess I'll, and I, I guess like, I'll... and uh, yeah. And I was like super stoked. Yeah. Because like, oh man, I haven't written music yeah. in a few years. Like the stuff I wrote for the last burn halo album was written years ago, four yeah. years ago, sure. you know, because like it took a couple years to come out. Totally. And, yeah, I've got like my creative juices flowing and like we tried, you know, we tried working this 18 V angle a couple of times. It just didn't happen. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that this time at all. It was just like, Hey, let's have fun and like write some music and put it out on some like indie label and like, yeah, totally. maybe play a show under right. like, you know, some obscure band name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just, then, yeah. Then just, it made sense to, it, it all came together appropriately. Yeah, totally. Um, there's two last things I want to hit on before I let you go was the, um, you know, the, uh, your spirituality where it's like the, um, you know, the notion that it's like, you know, 18 visions, especially from, you know, like the first EP was obviously, you know, very, uh, you know, shrouded in satanic imagery and like that sort of, you know, the dark side of things, whether or not like you professionally personally espouse, that's a different story. But like, um, from what I understand, like you, you had some sort of, uh, spiritual upbringing, whether it was Christianity or, you know, uh, that existed in your household and you kind of. I guess ebbed and flowed through that as your life went along. Like where, you know, how did that journey go for you? Yeah, man. Um, I just wasn't into it. Um, I got pulled away from like baseball to go to like Catholic, like after school. Sure. Sure. Like, and just like right off the bat, I was just like, man, this is stupid. Like I'm not into it, It you know? And then struggling with like, um, you know, my parents divorce and sure. dealing with that. I was just like, you know what? Like there's no God. Or if there is like, you know, like fuck him. Yeah. He doesn't for, have my back. Right. Putting me in the situation. <laughs> totally. And like angry ass kid, you sure. know? Um, and with reason to be so, uh, and gosh, I think, you know, I, this is when I was dating Nick's sister. Oh, okay. And who was raised. She was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, like going to orange Lutheran. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, super nice girl, super cool. Um, I was, you know, gothed out to the max, like, you know, (laughs) totally. And so sad and depressed. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, not really, but I was just angry, you know, like at, at like this, the universe, God, whatever. Sure. 
And um, I started reading the Satanic Bible. Sure. And it was like 1999 and like the whole Y2K, end of the world, Illuminati prophecies. And like me and my friends were like in it. Right. We were like heavily like into that stuff. Sure. Um, God. There was um, a situation like me and my friends were hanging out. And we were at, uh, we were at my buddy's house and we like, somebody had all this like Y2K, like Illuminati, like propaganda. Yeah, totally. And like, we were like reading about all this stuff and then we're like, Oh, let's go look out for like, let's go out and like look for like some Freemason stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. Like we were just like, you know, just doing like what like 19 year old kids do, you know? And so we're like out and about and then we go to like what we called like the satanic park or like the devil's playground that's over okay. by South Coast Plaza. Oh yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about, right? And like, <laughs> have you been up there I and like you yes. look at it and like it clearly spells out Satan, Satan exactly, right? Yeah. And it is in the form of a rattlesnake. Exactly. Like in... So like, oh, this shit is so dark and it's <laughs> right. so cool, it's right? Of Orange County. You know, yeah. and like ATV was like never meant to like be about like Satanism yeah, or yeah, like yeah. it was just like fun like evil dark of course but it's, it's more about you know, the aesthetic than totally. the actual belief right right and so um we get back to my buddy's house and like we're reading more of this stuff and we turn the tv on and like we kind of walk away from it mm-hmm. like we're like in the kitchen snacking around and then we're like we sit down we're right. like just wrapping out and all of a sudden we hear the word Illuminati come from the TV. This is like trippy. This is like, this is like, I guess kind of like my testimony of like getting away from like, uh, this is my testimony of like believing that there is like a God. Sure. And we all kind of like look up at each other and we're just like, what the fuck? Like, what is like weird? And like the whole movie turns out to be about like satanic, satanic witchcraft. Okay. And like these like rituals that they're performing. And we're just reading about some of these same rituals that like you have to perform to get your 33rd degree Freemasonry, whatever. I don't even know if that's real, but that's what we read. That's what you were reading. Right. right. Totally. (laughs) And so my buddy's like, oh, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch this. And he goes like under his TV and he pulls out from his like his TV stand a box, like just like a, a brown box. Mm-hmm. There's like VHS tapes in it because that's what you watched back then was VHS. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like looking and like I'm like kind of like browsing over and like there's some numbers on the box and like this could be purely coincidental but like given everything that's happened (laughs) and like what i'll get to as like the the really like kind of like hit me over the head moment Mm -hmm. was like there's like seven numbers on this like or five five to seven numbers on this like box right and right in the middle of these numbers is six 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 and i see that and i kind of like freeze up and like i feel this chill like i'll I'll never forget it because it's just like it's just so vivid. It will always just be so like implanted, embedded, ingrained in me. Sure. And like, I kind of freeze up. Right. And I'm just like, wow, like that's so trippy. Like all this stuff is like happening. It's like, adding up. Right. Right. And so I go home and like, I call my girlfriend mm-hmm. and I'm like, and she knew I was reading the satanic Bible. At the time right, too. Right, right. She's like, don't like, don't. What are you messing with that for? Yeah. Right. 
And so I tell her like everything I just said, right. But probably in more detail cause it had just happened. <laughs> totally. And she's like, you know what? I prayed three days ago that God would show you a sign that the devil is real. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and then like, just like, what? Right. And yeah. like, so for me, like, you know, for me trying to process this. Yeah. That's a like, lot to take in one evening. <laughs> all the stuff that we're meddling with, that right. I'm meddling with. And then like, you know, the, the book that I'm reading and like going out to this satanic park or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then the movie that was on and then the box, the numbers on the box. And then, I mean, this can sound crazy to you guys. I don't really care, No, yeah. Um, but this <laughs> but is like, this is like out. what I went through and like, sure. this is what I dealt with. And this is like what got me from, you know, this is kind of like what pulled me out of it. Um, yeah, and then the fact that she, that she said that to me, absolutely, like, you know, that she like really did that. And, um, yeah, play his day. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, there's no way this can be a coincidence. This is like divine intervention. Totally. Which is an awesome fucking Slayer it's album. A great too. Record. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But yeah, just, I mean, it, it, like, it, you, it, people don't arrive to conclusions, uh, it, you know, in sometimes it's in dramatic fashion as you have, or sometimes it's like something gradual, but it's like the moment where you're able to feel like something is actually your own, where it's like something is tangible to you. That's when like the switch flips where you're just like, Oh yeah, this thing's like, whatever this thing is, like I have no fucking clue, but like, I know that this is not real or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, I mean that basically like made me realize that there is in this world, like there is, a good and there is an evil. Sure. And it, it, it brought me to terms with there is a God and there is a devil. Right. And you know, people can take that and apply it to their lives in the way that they want it to sure. or not apply it to their lives at all. Um, but it just kind of opened my eyes up to that. Right. And you know, since that day, like, you know, I, I, I still believe, yep. um, I also believe that like, you know, get into a little bit that, you know, nobody's perfect. Of Um, course. You know, I've struggled and like grappled with, you know, my faith and my belief like since that day and will probably continue to do so for the rest of my life. Of course. Um, that's just, you know, I, I feel like a part of humanity. Yep. Uh, but you know, it's, um, it's opened up my eyes to a, a, a lot and the way that I view the world and mm. the way that I view people, sure. um, it opened me up to like forgiving people. Right. Um, you know, and friends that like I had huge fallings out with that like I literally have gotten in fist fights with because, you know, just, uh, beef or right. whatever, you know, being able to circle back around and like, Hey, maybe I wasn't at fault for that, but like, you know what? Like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry for, how that went down and yeah, how, I how that happened. Yeah, and yeah. Like, um, you know, so it, it brought a, a kindness out of me, I guess you yeah, could say, sure. uh, that, you know, I didn't definitely didn't have before. It's just, I'm, you know, I might've been like, um, you know, chill amongst my friends, but like, you know, I, 
definitely didn't have that like go out of my way, like big picture type of thing. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of humanity in general, right? <laughs> it's yeah, like, you're like, no, I'm sticking to my friends. Everyone else is. Yeah. yeah. Humanity is pretty. Yeah. Pretty humanity sh- is the devil. As integrity it, says, dude, right? it really, and it really is. <laughs> yeah, it truly yeah, yeah. is. Truly. <laughs> especially today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, I, I really appreciate you walking me through that just because I knew, I, I, I knew, I, I knew bits and pieces of that story, but I didn't know the, the, the full uh, grasp of it. So that's, that's very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's that in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 No, I appreciate that. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was just the, uh, you know, like you mentioned, obviously since 18 visions is now, I, I this is a, a phrase that I like to use a, a full-time part-time band yep. because that's exactly what you are totally where, you know, you're open to opportunities and putting out new music and all that sort of stuff, but you know, you're not going to be on the road 200 days out of the year. What have you noticed since, you know, you, uh, I mean, you've always been obviously still active in music from going to shows and still caring about, you know, music in general, but like, what have you noticed in regards to people reacting to, um, 18 visions, whether it was like, you know, wow, like a 15 year old kids at her show that like clearly had never would have seen us. Like how, how is that? Like, or, or, I guess what have you recognized as being stuff that you might not have expected as you dove back in? Um, I mean, first of all, the reception, Yeah, you know, it was awesome. It like does. when we first started talking about doing this and like legit doing it, like touring was never an option. Right. Like it just wasn't. Not and like when we got that out of the way and like what we all wanted from it sure, and the expectations, it was like, okay, cool. We can actually make this happen. Yeah. You know, um, touring's just, I mean. Yeah. You know, you'll uh, play some shows. That's it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Let's have fun with it. We right. just wanted it to be fun. Yeah. You know, or you, so, or you want, or you want to play places where it's like, Hey, I know that shows will be fun here. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to play in front of five people? It's like, well, no, like we're not having fun. The five people that are there may not be having fun as well. It's like, that doesn't, you don't need that. No, not at all. <laughs> and, and I think just to get the whole touring thing out of the way, like the big reunion tour, like that's a lot of pressure. It is. And we didn't want that at all. Right. Like, I mean, what if it sucks? Totally. You know what I mean? Like this show at the observatory that we played, like that was, uh, I mean, it wasn't a ton of pressure, but we were just like, gosh, man, I I hope like this room is half full. Yeah, exactly. It's a big room. It is a big room. You know, we put a lot of like trust and faith and, and Biggie. Biggie. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) To be like, Hey, like, you know, we can play chain reaction, right? Which is what we, uh, what you wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it's safe. <laughs> it is. You know? of course. But I mean, we've never been a safe band. No. So, um, yeah, I, the reception, we were just going to put out like an EP, right. Probably by ourselves. Sure. And like, maybe people would like it. Just float it out there. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we throw once we create an Instagram and throw one subliminal thing out and then it's just like the floodgates open. Right. And it's like, all right. Maybe you guys need a bigger platform for the music. Um, it'll make it easier on you. No financial commitment for you guys out of pocket. Of like, course. We'll right. take care of everything. Well, we don't want to tour. We don't want to tour. No, it won't be an issue. It won't be an issue. Cool. It's still not an issue. Right. right? <laughs> so it's like the whole time we just like, we just want to have fun. We want to sure. do rad shit and like continue to put out music. And, um, the reception has been awesome. So I think that that was like something we didn't expect. And then to like, um, the feedback from the show or feedback from fans that are going to see us at future shows. Like, sure. I got into you guys. I found you right when you broke up or right before you broke up or right after you broke up, never got a chance to see you. That's awesome. Right. You know, or like, you know, younger, even younger kids that are like getting exposed to like, 
you know, the hardcore scene. Totally. Like somehow they get shown, you know, an old 18 B album or like tower of snakes is kind of like the, I I guess like a song that people cover totally in bands, which is just insane to me. (laughs) Totally. But you know, like, Oh, you know, this band played tower of snakes and I found out it was you guys and totally turned me on to you. Right. Like that's just rad. Yeah. yeah. It rules. Um, so the fact that like, there's like even young kids out there that like maybe can like start to grow with the band and wherever it goes from here or, you know, is able to like sit down with an 18 V catalog <laughs> from start to finish and like see the progression and like understand the progression sure. and, and not have like, uh, an emotional attachment to the band to where like they're, they're put off by the transition from like until the ink to vanity sure. or from vanity to obsession or from obsession to the self title. They're not, you know, they don't have like this emotional attachment to some of these albums where totally. like they want, there's consuming this music right? totally. Yeah, yeah. And so like, that's rad, um, to be able to like, you know, hopefully have fans that can, can do that. Right. Right. Yeah. And like take every piece of music for what it was at the time. Yeah. 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 No, that's super cool. I mean, it's yeah. Like, like you said, I think ultimately the biggest thing is just like, it's no pressure. It's existing in a fun place, which in turn will put you and everybody else that you're creating with in a good space to be able to create more music and still exist in this world as opposed to just like, Oh yeah, we got to get this thing and do this whole big, it's like, yeah, that that's just, you, you could do that once maybe. And then like you said, the pressure would probably collide in itself. Yeah, totally. I mean, fun and easy, you know, that's what it's, that's what this has been from day one yeah. from like writing music to playing the, playing the show to playing, you know, the upcoming shows that we have. And it's just, you know, hopefully there's, you know, more of that. Yeah, exactly. So cool. I think, I think we've, uh, done a good job so far of creating uh, a world where we can exist in within that world. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're totally. Going out and playing one weekend a month or two weekends a month or once every couple of months. Like totally. we can do that. We can make it happen. They can be fun, but successful at the same time. Exactly. And like, you know, keep driving us. To and it's, it's, it's ultimately manageable. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, James, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. Fun. And that was James. And thank you very much for coming to hang out at my house and uh, chop it up. I appreciate it. It was definitely, it's always weird when I, um, you know, do these conversations face to face because, uh, sometimes you've been talking about really intense stuff for like, you know, 30, 40, sometimes an hour and, uh, 30, 40 minutes, by the way, I just realized that I didn't finish that thought. I have a tendency to do that, but anyways, and then to like disconnect and be like, well, thanks for that. It's like, well, okay. Do you, are you okay? <laughs> Am I okay? <laughs> But uh, yeah, and the uh, what well, we got next week because that's also why you uh, you tune into these outros in order to hear what's happening next week is another rad guest Jimmy Lavelle. He is in he played in Tristeza and he also played in Album Leaf. He also played in some uh, great San Diego hardcore bands like Guyver One and The Locust. And he's been a person I've kind of had earmarked for quite some time to be on the show because uh, yeah, I just I've worshipped at his altar musically for quite some time so we get into some really really fun conversations so that is next week and um yeah until then please be safe everybody and please 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 visit my friends at movie.com slash words and you'll be able to get a 30-day trial please you'll love this service the movies they have on there are spectacular all right 
Talk to you later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. 